Just the mention of your name, what a beautiful, what a beautiful and powerful name that God has, has given to us that we get to experience his love. How many of you got an opportunity to watch the royal wedding yesterday? Yeah, there's some of you. Guys, it's okay to put your hand up. It's all right if you decided you want to get up and see a wedding take place. It was absolutely beautiful, and it just it made me realize, you know, here's this girl from California, uh, Meghan Markle, that, that after, as a result of this relationship and this marriage, um, she was conferred upon her three incredible titles that she will forever be referred to. And it just reminded me of the power of the monarch of Christ, that when we, through marriage, it, in relationship with him as his church, that God confers upon us a new title, that we are the beloved of God, that we are the chosen, that we are the called, um, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. So no matter what we were called before Christ, it all goes away. And that's the language of Paul when he says, all things are passed away, all things become new, is that we have been conferred upon this incredible uh, royal title as the people and the children of God. So I just think it's, I think it's absolutely amazing to see that take place. If you didn't get to see it, please watch the news. If you don't understand it, then, then get on Netflix, watch The Crown, watch two seasons of The Crown. You'll totally understand the impact and significance of what took place yesterday. You know, God is calling us to arise and shine and um, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. We've been invited to this. We've been invited to discover who we are in Christ and then begin to rise up with the new title that has been given to us as the beloved of God, the children of God. I love the way that God said it to us, like speaking to us as his children. In Isaiah 60, he said, arise, get up, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. He wants to shine in you, and his glory will be seen upon you. What an amazing thing that God wants to be seen through us, that we are the evidence of the existence of God, is when we become fully alive with the glory of God, and we begin to allow it to shine through us and through our relationships that we begin to declare that God is alive and at work on planet Earth. And the change that God's truth makes to us begins to affect our shining and begins to give us our shining. And we talked about our brightness, our contrast, and our clarity. Is that, that God gives us our brightness, which is our love for one another, which is our love for those who need love. It is our hopefulness. We're a people that don't just evaluate the events of the world and then determine our outcome, but rather we hear the truth of God and it sets us free so that we see the potential of God, the glory of God in our lives, and we have the brightness of God on us. We have the contrast of God, that through his truth we begin to understand and navigate our understanding of right and wrong and what is best and what is harmful and hurtful for us, and we begin to become those, those indicators of right and wrong for the people around us to help rescue them from the things that are destroying their lives. And then our clarity, 
It's the character that God begins to develop in us through his spirit, that we become men and women of, of royalty. It's not only something that is conferred upon us, but we really begin to have this nobility as part of our lives. We begin to walk and live it through our character. There is hope for the world, and there is hope for our families, and there is hope for the people that you work with, and it, it happens because of our shining, our rising up. When you and I are fully alive with the word of God, the truth of God for us, we begin to shine. You know, it, it, there are very few times that you're ever told to show off. I mean, we're always told don't be a show off, and we already, always correlate that to pride or vanity. But when we hear this from God, God says, I want you to rise up, and I want you to show off my glory. I want you to be a show-off when it comes to the glory, the truth, and the love, and the hopefulness of God. I want you to just show that off. And, and so I, I was looking for an illustration on showing off, and I found one that's absolutely amazing. If, you're, if you love the military like I love the military, this one will really hit home with you because it talks about rising and rising and risings and, and then shinings. It's the story that you're going to hear was told by the pilot of the SR-71, and if you're a Cold War baby like I am, man, I miss the Cold War. It was, it was great. Wasn't it awesome? All those Clancy novels. I mean, you know, Jack Ryan. Man, those were the good old days. Come on, Trump. Make America great again. You know, it, but in that Cold War time, there was this, this, this airplane called the SR-71, and it was a high-tech plane that uh, its capabilities were secret, its performance was legendary, and uh, we got an opportunity to hear a story told by a, the pilot from the Air Force, and I love what he shares, and I, I think you'll hear this idea of showing off the rising and the shining in this story. Let's listen. It's called the LA Speed Story, and I, it was just a story about one day it was really cool being be an SR-71 pilot. Walter and I were doing a training mission around the United States where you just were building up hours and time. And we take off out of Beale, hit a tanker in Idaho, rip on up to uh, Montana, zip across Denver, hang a right turn in Albuquerque, out over Los Angeles, up to Seattle, back into Sacramento, two hours, 21 minutes. <laughs> and you just do that for, and you do it backwards, and you hit a tanker. Too. It was just, just to gain crew coordination, get, build your hours. We're on our last training mission. We're over Tucson. I can see downtown LA from Tucson. We're at 89,000 feet. I can see the whole western United States bathed in a warm October fall glow. I can see the chain of Rocky Mountains from Canada to New Mexico. I could, I could just see the most beautiful picture laid at my feet and the air as smooth as glass. Not a gauge moving in the cockpit. It was perfect. Now I'm thinking, we bad. And I feel sorry for Walter because he has to monitor five radios in the back seat, so I flipped the switch up just to listen. And L.A. Center is controlling. They control all. When you fly southwest air, the guy's controlling everybody. But we're above controlled airspace. So they have us on their scope, but they're not talking to us. Now, there's controllers all over the country, Jacksonville Center, Chicago Center, Seattle Center. You know, it's the same guy. They all talk the same. And it's really cool the way they talk because they make you feel important as a pilot. They don't just say, yeah, okay, here's your thing. They make you feel really cool. So sure enough, this was pre-GPS day. Some Cessna guy has to know his ground speed. Uh, LA Center Cessna, November Tangle Alpha. You got a ground speed readout for us? 
Now, Senator would like to say, who cares? Get off free. <laughs> but no, he'll talk to him like he's John Glenn. Cessna November Alpha, we show you 90 knots, nine zero knots on the ground. And they do that sing-song, but that's how they talk. And it makes you feel kind of cool. Right after that, a twin bonanza came up to pimp the guy for speed, I guess. And LA Center, Twin Beach, uh, whatever. You got a ground speed readout for us? And Senator likes it. God, it's Friday. Why me? God, please, just get off. But he's going to talk to him like he's Air Force One. Twin Beach, we show you 121, two zero knots on the ground. And right after that, a Navy F-18 out of Lemoore popped up on frequency. And you knew it was a Navy guy because he talked really slick on the radio. <laughs> Center Dusty 5-2 speed check. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Dusty 5-2 has a ground speed indicator in that million dollar F-18 cockpit. It's right there in the heads up display. Why is he calling Center to broadcast his speed? Uh, I get it. We are just the meanest, baddest, fastest military jet in the valley today. We're taking our little Hornet jet over Mount Whitney and ripping across Death Valley. We want everyone from Fresno to the coast to know what real speed is. And you can almost hear a little, a little glee in the controller's voice like, we have put an end to this. <laughs> Dusty 5-2, we show you 620, 620 knots across the ground. And it was that across the ground. See that little knife like, I hope nobody else has the nerve to get on frequency now. And there wasn't an airliner from Seattle to San Diego that wanted to be next on freak. It's sort of an etiquette thing amongst flyers. And a 12-year-old was reaching for the mic button. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, wait, Walter's in charge of the radios. I flew single seat all those years, but I'm in the family model now. And I, I want it. no, it's the Navy that must die and it must die now. And I, and I thought, no, but if I do, I, well, I'll upset Walter, and I want us to be a good crew. And I, at that moment, I heard a click of the mic button in the back seat. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Walter and I became a crew at that moment. In <laughs> his best innocent voice, LA Center, Aspen 3-0, have you got a ground speed readout for us? <laughs> you could almost hear a collective gasp on Freak, like, oh, the poor fools didn't hear the previous transmissions. Oh, they, they got crushed like a grape. It's, it's just a pilot thing. But Center had to give you that same voice. Aspen 3-0, we show you 1,992 knots <laughs> across the ground. When I knew I was going to like Walter a lot is when he came back and said, Center, we're showing a little closer to 2,000. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we did not hear another transmission on that frequency <laughs> all the way to the coast. The king of speed lived, the Navy had been flamed, and a crew had been formed. For just a moment, it was absolutely fun being the fastest guys on the block. What an incredible story. You know, there's nothing wrong with showing off with the capabilities that God has given you. There's nothing like rising and shining to your God-given capabilities. I have to throw this in there because there's a lot of us that are desperate for football season and we're not gonna get it for another four months. It was Emmett Smith that said, we are all born naked into this world, but each of us is clothed in potential. And when we begin to rise up in God's truth, when we begin to implement it into our lives, we begin to shine with the success of God. God begins to show off through us. He begins to show off through our, our marriages, 
through the transformations, our stories, our, our testimonies, our relationship with our children, the way that we perform our profession, he begins to shine through us. That the kingdom of God is not a collection of mopey life haters. It's not a kingdom of people who are waiting to die so that they can go to heaven. But rather the kingdom of God is a, a group of people who implement his truth and deploy his life and begin to shine and to show off with his grace and power. We find our elevation and we begin to rise. We find our, our speed and we begin to soar. Israel was not always a nation of great success and conquest. They were not always a people even of faith. When God had led them in the book of Numbers to the city of Jericho, all of them chickened out from the fight. He had sent up these spies to spy out the land and to tell, report back to Moses the odds or maybe the capability of, of the encampment around the city of Jericho. And, and almost all the spies came back and began to tell the stories of the, the, the people of Jericho and how threatening they were. And they scared all of Israel. And everyone's afraid of the fight. All of them but just a few men, like a man named Caleb. As a result of it, God told Israel that they were not allowed to inherit the promised land just yet because they were not willing to rise and shine. They were willing to just be a group of people who were mopey and life haters. So he sent them back out into the desert for another 40 years. And now went with them men like Moses and Joshua and this man Caleb who understood what Israel could be. Caleb didn't believe that God had led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea just to tent and be tent dwellers in the Sinai Peninsula. Caleb believed that God had raised them up out of slavery so that they could shine with the promises and the blessings of God. He didn't believe they just got saved to go to heaven. He believed they got saved so that they could experience life and life more abundantly as even Jesus said to us. So after years of wandering around the desert, another 40 years to learn how to seize the opportunity of rising and shining with the promises of God, and after warring and battling, God wanted to once again give Israel rest in the promised land. And not everyone was willing to rise up, but Caleb did. Caleb is back again at this city of Jericho, Caleb is once again back at this location, about to enter into the land that has been promised him by God. And we get an opportunity to hear the conversation that he has with Joshua, who is the guy that replaced Moses. We hear this conversation uh, by this guy who's like an SR-71 pilot that has all the potential and the speed to rise and to shine and wants to rise and shine into the inheritance that God promised him. And in Joshua 14, starting with verse 6, we are told this. And then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. 
I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. I believed we could do it. I believed God wanted us to rise and to shine. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your feet has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And Caleb continues to Joshua and says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. The Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 40 years since the time that the Lord spoke to the, uh, the word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I love what he says. He says, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said. God hasn't kept you alive just to keep you alive. Let me ask you the question, and, and I know that we all desire to live. We we panic to live. But why does God keep us alive? Why is God keeping you alive? Do you know what the answer is to that question? Have you even asked yourself that question before? It really is a different way of asking what your purpose is. But it is a different way to come from it. And, and Caleb said, God has kept me alive, and I know why he's kept me alive. But a lot of us go through life just trying to get to what? Retirement? I'm an inch from 60. I'm seven days from 30 years of marriage. You begin to ask yourself, why, why have you done what you've done? Why stay alive? Why take that cholesterol medicine? Why take that blood pressure medicine? And the other five that you have to take to go with it. Is God just keeping you alive to keep you alive? Or have you discovered what it is? Have you found your altitude yet? Have you gotten to your speed? And then if I can just for a second, because we need to not only change the way we think about color in America, the way that we talk, we talk about gender in America, we also got to change the way we talk about age in America. Because if you're stepping out of life at 60, for somebody that's there, you're stepping out of life way too early. God did not keep you alive so that you can collect on your 401k. God keeps you alive so that you can inherit the land that he has promised you so that you can be the man or the woman that God has created you to be. God is not just keeping us alive on, support, on this life support system so that we can grow old and we can say, well, the national average in America is now 78 and a half years old. Americans may be living longer, but they're not living better. And the reason why is because we don't know why God's keeping us alive. We're just alive to be alive. And Caleb's like, oh, I know why. Yes, I've just gone through 45 years back in that desert again with a bunch of losers. But I know why I'm alive. They may not know why they're alive. They may not know why they're wandering around the desert. They don't know what's next for their lives, but I know why I'm alive. And I love it. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you're 85 years or older, you're in this story. 
You know, because Caleb said, I am 85 years old today, and I am just as strong as I was when I was 40. Now, I don't know if he really was. I don't know what is, if God, you know, supernaturally maintained his physique. But bottom line, your body ain't going where your mind isn't heading. Boy, do I sound like a gospel preacher or what? <laughs> I learned something from that preacher yesterday in the wedding. You got you to gotta watch a little bit more about that. <laughs> Maybe my voice should go out a little bit more. I sound less Anglo-Saxon. Oh, man. I love what he continues to say. He says, I am as still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. I mean, listen to Caleb talking to Joshua. Give me this land that was promised to me by God. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. I just love the sound that's coming out of the soul of this SR-71 pilot as he's, as he's flying across the ground. He said, I want what God promised me and I'm willing today, even at 85, to fight for it. You know what entitlement is? Entitlement is the mentality, no matter who we are, that thinks that we're supposed to get something and we're not supposed to fight for it. That it's supposed to be just handed to us on a silver platter. Now Caleb didn't say, give me that, that, that high country and, and, and go clear it out for me. He's like, no, give it to me and I'm willing to inherit the fight as much as I'm willing to inherit the land. See, we want to inherit land that we don't have to fight for. Caleb was like, no, the inheritance and the fight go together. Good marriages just don't happen. They're fought for. I mean, good, good kids and, and a great nation aren't things that are entitled to us. There are things that we fight for and that we, we strive for in our lives. I want what God promised me, and I'm willing to fight for it. I don't care if the journey is uphill. I don't care that giants live there. I don't care that there are fortified cities. Now just apply this to your own personal life. We begin to think that the battle's too uphill for us to climb. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. These things are too difficult to overcome. We begin to think that the giants are too great. Nobody in my family was able to ever overcome this addiction or overcome this habit or this temperament in their lives. We begin to think that we can't prevail against fortified cities in our lives, habits that have been encamped against us that we have created and are fortified. And Caleb's like, I am willing to fight the uphill battle. I'm willing to fight the giants. I'm willing to fight and tear down the fortifications because I want the inheritance that God has promised me. A promise from God is a fulfillment just needing time and obedience. It's not American entitlement. It's not just something God's going to do. 
God has already empowered every promise that he's made to us through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. He's already shown us that he can beat the uphill battle, that he can beat the giants, and he can, and he can conquer the fortifications even of death. Now he invites us to the fight. And a promise from God is a fulfillment just needing time in our obedience. But God wants us to have it. After all, as Caleb said, the Lord will be with me. The story continues. Then Joshua blessed him. How can you not? The dude is going to run you over, Joshua. He's like, you got to bless a man or a woman that is willing to fight for the promises of God in their life. He, you know, Joshua, he's in charge, but it's like, I'll, dude, I'm just going to bless you. I just want to get near you because what you're going to do is going to be a great thing. And Joshua blessed, blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb for an inheritance. Gave it to him. Still had to fight for it. Still some battles to be done. But he already realized in his heart, this is God's promise to me and I'm going to have it. None of this, I sure hope our marriage works out. Well, how's your marriage going? I, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. None of this, well, you know how kids are going to be. They're going to surf the web. They're going to use their smartphones. And we're just going to hope they're going to turn out okay. Because I've been praying for them. Well, you know, praying's a cool thing. And that's part of the blessing of God. But there's got to be a fight. There's got to be a battle that is fought for the hearts and the minds of our children and for this country. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because, and if you see a dot, dot, dot in the scripture there, and some of you kind of try to keep me on my toes theologically, it's like, wait a minute, there's a dot, 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 he cut something out of there. It was just a bunch of words that I couldn't pronounce, Okay. <laughs> I just didn't want to look too stupid in front of you. But it was Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, or the son of this and the son of that. I just cut that out, all right? Just so, okay, I just wanted to let you know I'm not excluding key portions of Scripture here. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kareth Arba. Arba was the greatest man among Anakim, and the land had rest for more. Now, I needed to pronounce those names because I want you to know when you're willing to fight for the promises of God in your life, it will change the ground you live on. It will change what you're called. It will change the definition of your marriage, the definition of your mind. What you think about yourself will no longer be called this, but rather it will now be called the beloved of God, the called of God, the chosen of God. That's why I abhor anybody, not anybody, but the, the saying in the Bible Belt, I am just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, for the love of, is that what he did? That God cleaned up the high land but didn't let us go live in the high land. God defeated the enemy but told us we couldn't go up and live in the change. 
I am the beloved of God, called of God, chosen of God. I am an heir of God, co-heir with Christ. I am seated with God in the heavenlies. I am a conqueror and nothing can stand against me. I'm pretty B.A. Okay? And you say, why? It's because I married into a relationship that conferred upon me a title of child of the living God. Do I got problems? Caleb had problems. Do I got fortified cities in my life that I got to fight? Yes, I do. Are there some uphill battles for me? Yes. Are there giants in my land? Yes. But I will continue to live my life, not so that I can put money in a 401k, but so that I can inherit the land of life that God has promised me with my wife, with my children, my friends, in my country, to arise and shine to the altitude that God has called me to soar and to live at. His impact changed the name of his surroundings. The biggest of enemies was defeated. That's the power of arise and shine. He rose above the fear. He rose above the adversity. He rose over the stature of his enemy. And I love the last line of that verse. And the land had rest for more. You know, there are some things God's called you and I to war with. And I can tell you, it's, it's, it's not the unbeliever. Okay? It, it's not what you, you know, it's not the moral majority thing. This is, there are some things in our lives that God has called us to war against, against jealousy, against thinking small about ourselves, against covetousness, against unforgiveness, against prejudice against our brother. You know, there are these real things that God has called us to fight with. And it says, and he rested from war. God wants to bring peace to your marriage, but there is a war that has to be fought in order for you to experience it. There is a battle that has to be engaged in order for you to, be, uh, to experience wholeness of mind and thought. And you've got to be willing to fight that fight. You know, I, I put uh, software on my computers to monitor whether or not I look at pornography. And you may say, well, dude, you're, you're a pastor. You're almost 60. You should have outgrown pornography. Well, speaking for the rest of the 60-year-old men in this room, we're not dead. <laughs> Say, but why would you do that? Why would you put software to monitor it and send an email to your wife every time you look at it? It's pretty, pretty hardcore, isn't that? I mean, would you dare to do that? I mean, why do I do that? It's because I want to win this war. I, I want to win. That means there's got to be a battle. And I don't want it to be a fortified city in my life any longer. That's because I want that. Why do I call people and apologize and, 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 and meet with them when I've done something wrong to them? Because I want to win the battle of unforgiveness. You know, God has called us to enter into this battle so that we can inherit the, the promise that he has given to us. I love how he described Caleb. This is God's description in Numbers 14, 24. He said, my servant Caleb... Because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. 
I will bring him into the land until into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Wow. My servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit. See, and this is where the power of the resurrection works in us. It's that God, through the resurrection of Christ, gives us his Holy Spirit, gives us a different spirit, so that we can rise up and begin to inherit the promises of God. That he followed me fully. That he was a man that engaged truth, the brightness, the contrast, and the clarity of God's word. He embraced it fully. He was willing to do battle with himself and with the things that were the enemies of God in his life. My servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit. It's amazing when somebody catches the different spirit of God into their life. I know it even in my own life, that there's this different spirit. It's, it's not, and I'm not talking about spirit as in my attitude. I'm talking about spirit as in being. That there's the breath of God, the person of his spirit living in me. And I can, I can sense his work in my life. That a different spirit, not the spirit of me, but the Spirit of God is different in me and it's doing something in my life. And God is still doing it in people like you as well. Putting this different spirit and changing them. I want you to listen to, to how God is working in Annie Laurie. She's one of our youth leaders here at Crosstown and an individual who is discovering the altitude and the velocity that God wants her life to go as a result of a different spirit and how God is working and shining through her life. Let's watch. My name is Annie Laurie, and I have been married for seven years to my husband, Sean. We have a son named Aiden, and he is four and a half years old. I've been going to Crosstown for, I believe, almost three years. Um, years ago, I was um, just so depressed and it led me into a very dark type of lifestyle. I mean, I would write poetry that was, you know, dark and just embraced it and just soaked it all in like it was the complete opposite of everything that I was, you know, but it became me because I allowed it, you know. It did lead to drugs and it led to like a self-indulgence and so it did take seeing God in a miraculous way to change that. I grew up knowing God my entire life and yet it took me going to the lowest level of myself to a person that I didn't know to realize he still loves me even at this extremely dark and horrible moment when I am you know, on drugs and I'm living for myself and um, he didn't, he didn't disregard me. He didn't disown me. He covered me. Before I got involved with Midtown and Atoma, there was a lot of personal stuff going on that I just felt overwhelmed. Um, you know, marriage and life and parenting, it's all extremely difficult. I mean, I would just cry to God and be like, change this. like changed my life. I would come here and every single service during praise and worship, I would be crying because I just, there was just this tug at me um, 
that I needed, I needed more, you know, in my life, that kind of thing. In order for him to change my life, I had to step away and serve. <laughs> like, I had to be something for somebody else's life in order for him to be something and show up big. But I felt like I was really embracing his love and not running from it anymore. You feel like you have your purpose and your purpose, you know, is to serve others. And that's, and to me, that's really how you shine is by serving others. Let me just ask you as we go into the last moments, and this, we call this moment expressions because it's not us doing things differently. It's, it's a moment where you get to express a moment between you and God. The Spirit of God is here in this place. There is a different spirit here. Annie talked about it during the praise and worship. She would just cry. What was that? That's the different spirit. It's the spirit that's talking to you right now. God has made every single one of us great and precious promises. And it's time for us to rise up. There is rest from the war that you've been fighting and, and your, your land can be renamed. What you say about yourself in your head can be changed. Man, what, an, what a great land to be changed. The way that I think about myself. The way that I think about my wife the way that I think about people. God will be with you. And he will give you a different spirit. He's kept you alive for this. He doesn't need more homo sapiens on the planet. He's kept you alive for a reason. And he wants you to discover it. And today there is a different spirit. There's the spirit of the living God here and he invites you to welcome him into your life. You may be standing at the bottom of your hill looking at the giants and the fortified cities, but God wants to give it to you. And through the resurrection of Christ, he's proven that his spirit is capable of raising the dead. He wants to do that for you. So as we receive communion, as we have this moment of prayer with God, maybe praying with one of our pastors or or maybe going to the cross and just pinning a prayer to it in just a moment where you invite the Spirit of God into your life. Just think about why you're alive. Father, we enter into this moment. And your word tells us that when Caleb inquired or talked to Joshua about the promise, Joshua blessed him. And God, it is no coincidence that Jesus' name and Joshua's name are the exact same name. And Joshua blessed Caleb. And today, Jesus is here to bless us with a different spirit. You may have problems, you may have difficulties. We all do. But today, God wants to change your name. He wants to confer upon you a title he wants to give to you a promise and empower you for battle. Father, we just enter into this place receiving your promise of your Holy Spirit. You said whenever two or more are gathered in your name, there you are ready to bless and empower your people. 
So today, Lord God, I choose to take the land that you have promised me. Today, I draw the line in the sand and say no more. Today is the day that the name begins to change, the giants begin to fall, and the fortifications are loosened. Father, today I step into your kingdom and your kingdom power. I invite you to come and express that to our Heavenly Father.